This is the Education Gadfly Show. This is like med schools doing the medical stuff that's backed by science one week and then teaching bloodletting the next week. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome my special guest for this week, Kate Walsh. Kate, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's very nice of you to have me. Well, it is a special occasion. Uh, For those of you that somehow don't know, Kate Walsh has been the president of the National Council on Teacher Quality for something like 20 years. Is that right? 20 years. Unbelievable. But you stepped down last week. Wow. What a momentous occasion. We are going to talk about this incredible run you had and also, you know, about teacher quality in America over the past 20 years. Let's do that on Ed Reform Update. Well, first of all, Kate, let me tell you, as I'm sure you've been hearing from everybody, we are going to miss you in this space. I know you're not going to leave for good. You better not. But you have been such a strong advocate for teacher quality. You also are one of those people at meetings that is so refreshing because you speak the truth. (laughs) You never hold back. And yet you do it in a way, you know, Checker sometimes is known for not holding back, but it doesn't necessarily always, uh, you know, actually rub people the right way because of his checkerisms. You you have a way of being tough and, you know, not sugarcoating things. And yet it feels uh, always constructive at the same time. Well, I don't know how constructive I am. I usually leave every meeting going, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps. It helps. We need that in this world. Well, so Kate, I am curious, you know, the National Council on Teacher Quality been around 20 years. You know, as every article that is ever critical of NCTQ likes to point out, it was uh, something launched a long time ago as a Thomas B. Fordham Institute project. People bring that up, uh, especially people on the left who want to, you know, attack NCTQ. That was a long time ago, people. Come on. And uh, we are very proud to have incubated a lot of great groups over the years. NCTQ, though, it stands out. And frankly, we, we can take very little credit nor blame. I mean, it's been a long time. You've been independent. And the the group has gone way beyond what we ever imagined back then, which was to, you know, maybe do some cool work on policy stuff. When you look back, you know, you wrote something the other day saying that you were particularly proud of your work on teacher prep programs. So, you know, are ed schools, are they hopeless? And if not, tell us why. Well, no, they're not hopeless. And that's why it's my proudest work is that We spent 10 years trying to figure out how to do it. We did pilot studies, and then we launched a big national rating of the institutions in the United States. And we made a lot of missteps and blunders, but I don't, I'm not all that apologetic about it in that you can't do something of the ambition and scope that we attempted without making those missteps, especially given that teacher preparation programs were so vehemently opposed to us rating them. And we can get into that if you want. But we have clear evidence of our impact. So in fact, I'm writing a letter to our funders saying, look, we showed demonstrable growth in the number of programs that adopted scientifically based reading methods. We showed demonstrable growth in the number of programs who teach research-based strategies to manage classroom behavior. And we're out with a report uh, in a couple of weeks, or maybe not even that, that shows a significant increase in the amount of time programs are dedicating 
to mathematics for the much needed area of elementary mathematics. So we have clear evidence of our impact. The methodology works, ratings work, they're highly motivating. You have to keep doing them. That's been our toughest job is keeping them going. And no, I'm I'm very, very bullish on the prospects ahead for what yeah. we're doing on Teacher Prep. No, that's great. How about this? When you think about the science of reading in particular, do you think that now we're at a point where there's some significant percentage of new teachers, new elementary school teachers are coming through ed schools that are actually providing at least some decent instruction in the in the science of reading? I don't know, half or a quarter? Or- well, we know that far more programs acknowledge than used to, at least half of them acknowledge that there is this thing called a science of reading. How well of a job, how good of a job they do in imparting that, we were finding that they would acknowledge there's a science. And then in the next lecture, they might teach them about um, three cueing, which is, if anyone knows anything about reading, knows the three cueing is sort of the antithesis of the science. So they were teaching the science of reading as one approach. And then you could do Fontes and Pinnell as another approach. And we know that that's not responsible instruction. We've changed our standard and we come out with new ratings next winter on reading. And I think we're going to see a huge shift uh, yeah. because there's yeah. so much pressure from states. This is like med schools, you know, doing the medical stuff that's backed by science one week and then teaching bloodletting the next week. Well, it's essentially it. And it's good that you brought up med schools because that's what the teacher prep review is based on was the 1910 study of done by Abraham Flexner of medical schools. And, you know, we get criticized for being too critical of teacher prep. Um, Abraham Flexner only gave high marks to one institution in, in the United States on medical schools. And that was my hometown, Johns Hopkins. They got a high mark, but everybody else flunked. <laughs> so <laughs> we had a good yeah, yep, you're, you're going soft. Uh, yeah. All right. Other question from thinking about the past 20 years. Would it be fair to say that the whole push for states to have these statewide teacher evaluation systems, was this the biggest mistake on the teacher quality front? I'm not putting it on NCTQ in any way. But just in the, in the realm of teacher quality, do we think that that was the biggest misstep we've made in these 20 years? I don't think teacher evaluation itself, the way that was pushed, well, you could be critical of the f- attempt by the federal government to impose it as a requirement for states to qualify for more money. You could do that. And, and I think that's fair and a very hard lesson learned. But I don't think evaluation itself was a problem. It was the greedy nature of the ed reform movement to push for teacher evaluation at the same time that they were trying to roll out, roll out common core state standards. And it wouldn't have taken a rocket scientist to figure out. In fact, there were, there were some people I respected at the time who said this is going to backfire. I would definitely say that, that the reform movement got very greedy and didn't understand that they were asking for major changes. And so you sort of handed a great argument to the unions on a silver platter that caught on like wildfire. So no, evaluation and evaluation remains every bit as important uh, now. And, and you just can't touch it because it's toxic at the moment. But look, reading was toxic 10 years ago, as you and I both know, Mike, and things come around cycles. We'll get back to it. Just hopefully we'll get back to it with a little bit of smarter brains. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. One last thing here. What what gives you some hope about 
ed reform, about teacher quality, about uh, going forward as you think about the next 10 or 20 years? Anything? <laughs> Than the fact that you, that you get to be retired, Kate. That's not. Come on, help me out here. I'm silent because I'm I'm a little bit stumped. I mean, I'm an optimist by nature, though nobody who knows me thinks that. Um, <laughs> but you know, you just have to persist. You you don't have any choice but to persist. Are you just going to give up and go home? No, mm-hmm. you can't do that. And so. We're not in a good space right now for teacher quality. There's been huge distractions from the importance of having an effective teacher in the classroom that are deeply concerning to me. Those will have their day and they will go away the next. And what are they? I mean, name them. What what are those distractions? I I probably have some ideas. The listeners do too, but what do you have in mind? Look, the emphasis on diversity is extremely well-deserved. So I don't want anyone to misinterpret me. It's, it's really, really, uh, you can't talk about an effective teaching force that's not also diverse because of the impact of having teachers of color in the classroom. But, but I will say this, I'm extremely concerned that no one is thinking about putting effective diverse teachers in the classroom, that it seems to be the, the only qualification that you need to have is to share the cultural identity of the kids you're going to serve. That, to me, is trouble. And if we had mentioned this 10 years ago, people would have been shocked that that we would base hiring on the color of someone's skin. That's just wrongheaded. You need to make sure that people are going into the classroom, know their content. And instead, we have people pushing hard to get rid of any effort to determine whether someone knows any content. You can't teach if you don't know your content. And I don't care what anyone tells you. Otherwise, you can't do it. So my organization's been very, very committed to teacher diversity, but we are not not going to back away for one second from the need for those teachers to also mm-hmm. be effective. Yeah, no, I mean, because that, that's just a return to the soft bigotry of low expectations, right? Yeah. But, you know, for, for kids and for teachers, and we've talked about that on the show, the, you know, the teacher diversity research is so powerful, but we have to interpret it the right way, which is saying, you know, all things equal Yes, uh, there's some evidence that, for example, African-American kids learn more from African-American teachers, but all else equal. That teacher has to be a highly effective teacher. It can't be. Well, the, the research gets abused in that all of the research on, on diversity has looked at teachers who did meet some kind of standard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now the call is just get rid of all standards. I was on a panel a couple of days ago and or a couple weeks ago, and a teacher of the year got up and she said, I am more than a test score. I really, really resent the notion that I need to pass a test. I am a state teacher of the year, and I know all the math I need to know, but I struggle to pass that test. I think that's scary. That's a scary idea that she shouldn't have had to demonstrate that she knows some mathematics. Of course, she's more than a test. Of course, that's only a part of it, Mm -hmm. but it is a part of it, and it shouldn't go away. All right. We will have to leave it there. Kate Walsh, thank you so much. The former president of the National Council on Teacher Quality. Uh, are you going to get some kind of title? You know, we gave Checker some. What, what, yeah. what do we call him? Uh, emeritus. Emeritus. Well, I, right. I didn't That's get right. that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've advisor. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, get, get the emeritus thing. That sounds good. No, 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 fancy. I'm good. I'm, I'm All right. Well, hey, we, we may have you back on the show now that we know that you've got all kinds of time on your hands. 
And hey, again, thank you for all the, the work you've done on this incredible issue. Kate Walsh. Thank you to Fordham and, and, and Checker Finn, who's been serving on my board for 20 years. So I consider him a great friend and I consider Fordham a great friend. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Kate. Okay. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. Whew, it is going to be hard to imagine NCTQ without Kate Walsh. Huh? We are going to miss I her. I know. Seriously. Yeah. I guess they're is she doing a search now, or what's going on over there? Oh, oh, they uh, they replaced her. They found her replacement already. They did a national search, and it's going to be Heather Pesky, formerly oh. of the Massachusetts Department of Education. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I have not gotten that newsflash, so thanks for that. Of course, we wish Kate all the best and. I assume she's still going to be involved in education policy. She can't stay away, I'm hoping. That is what we need to hope. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, what do you have for us this week? Uh, we have a new study on how chatbots improve course performance in college. You know, I'm just enamored with these various types of nudges mm-hmm. uh, using technology. And, um, you know, I've covered several of these studies. Most of them have been used to help students remember administrative things like filling out your financial aid form or registering for a class. And it seems like every one of them, they kind of figure out how to, you know, tweak these nudges to do a little bit better and a little bit more, especially given that we know so many, I think we're up to a third of students who don't earn a degree in a four-year college, which I thought it was even more than that. So this time they conduct a randomized control trial, our gold standard, that's the effect on academic performance of a text-based chat box with artificial intelligence capabilities. The study takes place at Georgia State University. They use an introduction to American government course. It's an online course to begin with. The full-time faculty member teaches the course. It typically enrolls large numbers of lots of times freshman and sophomore students per semester because it's an introductory course apparently required for graduation by the state. So in fall of 2021, the researchers randomized 509 students enrolled in the course to treatment or control. All students received the standard communications from their course instructor about upcoming due dates and suggestions to meet with the professor if they were going to turn in an assignment late or something like that. Students in the treatment group, however, also received messages from the course chatbot known as Polls Pounce. Uh, apparently, the university mascot is Pounce. And there's a system-wide bot, I guess, that reminds all students of various administrative matters. But this is a chatbot just for the course that's related to the Pounce system-wide chatbot. Uh, Polls Pounce sent two to three customized messages each week via text, nudging students to complete late assignments inviting them to engage with the bot with questions. It also provided them with estimates on the time that each assignment would take so they could plan ahead and encourage them to do these very specific tasks towards the larger assignment each week. Messages included the student's name and customized the communication based on what they did or didn't do. Uh, Importantly, the teaching assistant for the course answered any questions within a couple hours for anything that the AI technology was not programmed to address. The findings, they find the academic chatbot significantly shifted students' final grades, increasing the likelihood that students would receive a course grade of B or higher by eight percentage points relative to the control group. 
They also find large and significant treatment effects for first-generation students as the intervention increased their final course grade by about 11 points on a 100-point scale. So that was a 16 percentage point increase in earning a B or higher. And it also boosted their completion of and performance on these individual course deliverables, such as various readings and exams. For instance, first-gen students were 13 to 15 percentage points more likely to submit their online exams on time, and they spent on average more than an hour and a half more reading their digital textbook throughout the semester than did the control group kids. Uh, Analysts also saw a 10 percentage point increase in earning a B for Black students. Finally, they did a survey, and 77% of the students reported that the polls pounce bot was somewhat useful, at least to them. 92% said, please use it in the course again. Then researchers found that students didn't perform any worse in other classes due to perhaps increased time spent in this uh, intro to government course. Finally, there's a really nice discussion at the end. And uh, they were trying to say, okay, what made this chatbot even more effective than some of the other interventions we've seen? They seemed to think it was because it broke down these course deliverables into definable tasks each week and encourage students to address those tasks. So it kind of gave them a little bit of a success as they were working up to the larger task. The kids liked that they got a time frame. You know, you should set aside an hour this week to do this. Uh, they said that could have been especially helpful to these first-gen students who might not have gotten advice from their families about college study habits. And then finally, the fact that you had a human helping you if the chat box couldn't address the student questions or concerns was also a big plus. You know, me, I'm obviously what we could talk about, whether there's applicability to the K-12 grades, especially at-risk middle and high school kids. Yeah. I mean, why not, right? I mean, they've got smartphones. They uh, they take courses. I'm sure they could be used, uh, use some reminding, right? Right, Uh, right. I mean, it's it's more than reminding here, though. This is what I think is interesting, Mike. The earlier nudges were just reminding, and now they're really saying, okay, this is what you should do this week. Yeah, you know, yeah, and this is how much yeah. time you should spend on it. Um, yeah. So I, it's kind of interesting. No, look, I like it. I can, can I purchase one of these for my kids? Be like, uh, at a certain time, make your bed. It will only take you two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, right? Oh my goodness! And you I mean, need to get it done by you know two o'clock <laughs> on Wednesday. I, it's funny. I mean, and these are big results that they yes. got, right? I mean, that's amazing too. Although I, when I think about it, you know, when I interact with these bots, I think about okay, I, I you know, I've got a Peloton and. You know, I get these nudges where they'll say, oh, you know, you got to work out today or else your four week in a row streak will be broken. Right. And I find myself thinking, oh, God, I really got to figure out where to fit that thing in. And then I, I remind myself, OK, this was a piece of software that just <laughs> <laughs> why do I care that I'm letting down this bot that does not exist? Uh, like, I'm pretty sure nobody at Peloton headquarters is like, ah. Right. Mike Petrilli, he really was going strong there for a while, but he is right. Right. I know. I get it. I mean, my watch, you know, reminds me to breathe once an hour, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I do find myself doing that because, you know, those big breaths help me to get a little stress out. So (laughs) I guess it's just very based on the person, right? Whether they're going to pay too much heed to these things. But apparently a lot of kids did at, uh, at, at this university. We should have a bot that automatically emails everybody on the staff right after they get an email from Checker that reminds them to, <laughs> to breathe. That would be another good one. Right. 
Uh, look, I, you know, the, the only the only thing that downside I can imagine is just as as we think about, you know, doing things like like doing assignments, getting good grades. You know, we think of this now as measures of non-cognitive skills or grit right. or something like that. And so, you know, does this change at least the way we think about that? We're, we're helping kids with those skills. On the other hand, come right. on. I mean, certain kids have parents, moms and dads that, that bug them, hopefully not in college, but probably in college too. Right. Uh, but certainly in middle school and high school. And so, you know, if this is leveling the playing field on, on the nagging, we're trying to close the nagging gap. Gap. Right. Uh, yeah. Then, yeah. That's, that's right. great. I mean, yeah. I, you know, who knows if it's just replacing or, or just supplementing, I don't know, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I don't see too much of a downside. I mean, I guess you could just do it too much, right. If you're, mm-hmm. if every course has got a, a pounce, yeah. you know, pounce algebra, pounce chemistry, whatever. Um, I can see where it could be too much of a good thing where yeah. you just sort yeah. of kind of, you know, tune out. You do. I, I can imagine that that is something to look into, but otherwise, man, yeah, it seems like it's worth, worth trying. Uh, and, and again, on these kinds of nudges, I mean, I know there's some people who push back on some nudges that maybe are, you know, questionable, like nudging people to go to college when maybe mm-hmm. they, you know, maybe that's not the best decision for them. But, you know, right. you've signed up for a course, you need to do the work in order to do well, reminding kids to do the work, you know, and being specific about it. Hey, sounds good yeah. to me. And the fact that the kids got to, you know, reply to the survey and say, you know, did you like it or not? Mm-hmm. And to say 92% say, hey, use it again. It was, you know, it was helpful. So. Mm-hmm. that's a good thing. But, but yeah, right. I mean, I, I want to start seeing some of these applications to, uh, to, to K-12, to high school students. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I, I don't th- think I've read one that has to do with the, uh, with the K-12 setting. These have all been, you know, post-secondary mm. interventions. Well, so. there's certainly, you know, somebody is, is selling stuff to school districts to send text messages to parents. Cause I get right. a lot of text messages myself and I think okay. that the kids are getting stuff uh, via text or email. Um, But I don't know about something this well-designed. That is a good question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let us know, listeners. Let us know. (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, because I got to go hop on my Peloton, that is all the time we've got (laughs) for this week. And so until next week. I'm Amber Northern. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gapfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org.